Salaam everyone. Welcome to the 14 Pillars Podcast, where we aim to deepen our relationship with the 14 infallibles of Islam, one hadith at a time. My name is Ali Imad Fadlallah, and today, in honor of episode 12, and our 12th day of Shahir Ramadan, I want to honor our 12th and final Imam, our current Imam, Al-Mahdi. May Allah hasten his reappearance and relief. But, I want to do so in a way that feels true to me, a way where I might contribute something of value to this conversation. What I mean by this is, there's already some great content out there on the awaited one. Lectures, books, documentaries based on Shia sources, etc. For example, last Shah Ramadan I watched a documentary called The Government of Imam Mehdi on YouTube. Highly recommended if you haven't seen it. Just don't turn me off right now to go watch it. Man, you really almost did that. I also loved reading The Mehdi, Understanding the Awaited One, by Sayyid Munir al-Khabbaz, a powerful and reader-friendly book that taught me so much, or reading chapters dedicated to the Mahdi in books like the 14 Infallibles or the 12 Shia Imams, or the many hadith about our awaited Imam, and our reliable books, especially Al-Kafi. So initially, I wanted to synthesize these resources and share nuggets from them, my favorite hadith, less-known facts about the Mahdi, like words he exchanged with one of his four representatives during occultation, or the events that led to it, or what he'll do and where he'll go when he returns, how he unites with Prophet Jesus salam, things of that nature. But as important and inspiring as these details are, it just didn't feel like the best place to start. Because for me, the best place to start, perhaps always but especially when we're talking about the Mahdi, is within, with us and more specifically, with a concern about us that was foreseen and foretold by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi, who not only knew the details of Mahdi's future, but also the details of our state, as individuals and as a ummah, when the Mahdi does appear. Indeed, long before the Mahdi was born, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi said countless times that a divine imam from his progeny would emerge and would carry his name. If you didn't know, Imam Mahdi is named after Rasulullah, though we don't typically address him by his birth name. And Rasulullah told us that this awaited Savior would embody his character. And in a hadith that is echoed in dozens of ways across sects, the Holy Prophet says, If there was nothing left in this world except a single day, Allah, the Exalted, would prolong that day until a man from my progeny emerges and fills the earth with justice just as it was once filled with corruption and injustice. Allahu Akbar. But what did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi foretell or foresee about his ummah during the time of the Mahdi? That question helps us answer how today's topic, which may seem to have little or nothing to do with the Mahdi, actually has everything to do with the Holy Imam. In fact, today's episode titled, Hidden in the Open, can sound like a reference to the Mahdi who is hidden from sight, but also very much here, with us, even in the open when he visits Hajj every year, though we wouldn't be able to identify him. But the title of today's episode was actually inspired by polytheism. Not the polytheism most of us think of, the belief in idols or gods other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather, 
It's what Nabi Muhammad calls hidden polytheism, sometimes called minor polytheism. For this type of polytheism is also hidden in the open. Let's begin with this hadith from Rasulullah who says, Abstain from minor polytheism. The worst thing which I fear for you is your hidden polytheism. So rise above it, since among my followers, polytheism is more secret than the creeping of the ant on a hard stone in the dark night. In another hadith, the Holy Prophet says, Surely, much more than anything else, I am concerned about my ummah as to polytheism. I do not say that they worship the moon, the sun, or idols, but that they perform actions for other than God and indulge themselves in passions, in privacy. So whoever expects to encounter his Lord, let him act righteously and not associate anyone with the worship of his Lord. Allahu Akbar. That last sentence is actually the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Prophet is quoting from Quran, chapter 18, verse 110. The Holy Prophet was worried about hidden polytheism for us because he knew that after him, his ummah wouldn't revert back to idol worship. No, but rather, we would be distracted if not consumed by different idols, a world run by celebrities, singers, fashion bloggers, actors, tiktokers, and politicians, professional athletes and activists, people we might feel starstruck by or at least nervous around if we saw them at a coffee shop. And not just these idols, but all the content they produce, the values they reflect, and the way we begin to adopt these values for ourselves. We might aspire to their positions, wish we were more like them, model ourselves after them, all while modeling ourselves after the 14 infallibles feels increasingly distant, difficult, unrealistic. But hidden polytheism has many variations. It doesn't even have to be as extreme as wanting to be famous or known, which is something I did want when I was in a broken place, a mentally suffering place. But it can even be something as common as attaching so much of our self-worth to the way our parents view us, or uncles or aunts or friends see us, or even how we see ourselves, our brand, our image, our status before society, instead of our status before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when I first read such hadith a few years ago, it struck the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in me. I think that was probably the point, right? Because even though I was a much more whole version of myself by then, a version that was seeking my validation more and more from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in contrast to many years of seeking it elsewhere, still, I thought about how easily a lot of my life, thoughts, aspirations, became motivated by other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it kept me, and still keeps me, examining my motives, searching for the slightest hint of showmanship. For Imam Ali salam said, Know that the slightest form of showing off is tantamount to polytheism. Tantamount means virtually the same as. And I wanted to be freed from this pattern of seeking validation in other than God, which only ever led me, or anyone else, into a prison of insecurity, self-doubt, anxiety, depression, second-guessing, rewriting text messages 12 times, panicking when one doesn't answer, trying to control the narratives about us, spending as much time trying to manage other people's perception of us as we do managing our lives. Hence, Rasulullah said, There is no calamity or trial harder than polytheism for God's servants. So it's a huge part of our test. You see, it's easy to think of hidden polytheism as hidden fun. 
the sins we commit because we're too focused on worldly pleasure or gain or joy, and all that is part of it. In Surat Al-Takathur, chapter 102, verses 1 and 2, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-Hakamu takathur hatta zurtumul muqabir Competition for worldly gains diverts you until you enter your graves. Hidden polytheism. But it's also important to remember that although it sounds like hidden polytheism is about the fun in our lives, it's really not. It's just as often self-inflicted harm, suffering, like we just mentioned, a path into the prison of insecurity or a deep void, never feeling like we have enough or we are enough. When we identify hidden polytheism, it's the clearest indicator that we are in a jihad, a war with oneself, a struggle against our worldly desires, and an indication that the world is winning. It's making our lives so much harder than we realize. That's why Rasulullah called this a calamity, and why he also said, The greatest jihad is to battle your soul, to fight the evil within yourself. If you are here for episode 7 called Have You Heard? You heard it from Allah the Almighty Himself. O son of Adam, as much as your heart has love for this world, that much of my love gets away from your heart. Indeed, I will not let my love and love for this world be together in one heart. Be alone for my prayers. Purify your deeds from showing off. Then, I will make you wear the clothes of my love. Hidden polytheism. These hidden ants that infest our thoughts crawl into our conscience make us dependent upon other than God. Imam Muhammad al-Baqir our fifth holy imam, was asked about this verse in the Holy Quran when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, And most of them do not believe in Allah without associating others with Him. He explained, It is attributing partners onto Him in favors which are given to man. When asked the same question a generation later, his son Imam Ja'far al-Sadi said the same exact words but added an example to help us grasp it. He said, It is about him who says, If such and such were not there, I or my family would have perished or been afflicted by misfortune. So as you see, he considers a partner for Allah who provides for him and protects him. So that's why Imam Ali told us to depend exclusively upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially when our distresses intensify. In a similar hadith to the one we heard earlier, Rasulullah further expands our definition of this hidden phenomenon. Polytheism among my people is more concealed than an ant's movement on Mount Safa at dark night, and the closest thing to polytheism is to like a bit of injustice and dislike a bit of justice. For isn't religion but liking and disliking for God's sake? The exalted God says, Say, if you love God, obey me, and so he will love you. The last part was from chapter 3, verse 31 in the Qur'an. Subhanallah, the closest thing to polytheism, the Prophet says, is to like a bit of injustice and dislike a bit of justice. When we indulge in foods that are harmful to our body or overeat in a gluttonous fashion, we do great injustice to our body, kick-starting diseases, but we can't help but like or love it sometimes. Hidden polytheism. When it's time to pay khums as required in Islam, one-fifth of our earnings or we feel obliged to give to charity. But man, it stung a little to let go of that nice little chunk of cash. That's us disliking a bit of justice, hidden polytheism. But I want to come back to what I believe is among the most dangerous forms of hidden polytheism, 
which is attaching our sense of self-worth to our loved ones, our parents, relatives, etc. Let me share a story with you. When my father, Allah passed away, I took a trip several months later to a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia, a remote town in the deep woods called Serenby, where I reserved a cabin in those woods, all alone, to write for one week and try to make progress on the book he and I were working on before he passed. As badly as I wanted to write, and as perfect as the environment was, I couldn't write a single word for the book. This wasn't even writer's block, this was complete disconnect, paralysis. All I did for six nights was cry and write short reflections on a piece of paper to my father. I want to share one with you. It's short. Baba, you left, and with you left my fixation on making you proud, replaced with recognition that this too, in fact, was what Rasulullah called hidden polytheism. Tell me, Baba, how did I manage to make you the idol you begged me to never believe in? Admitting you had to go for me to truly go to God feels like saying I helped kill you. Now I know that the ending is harsh, maybe even hard to hear, or maybe even for some hurtful, but if you've ever lost a loved one, you know how raw the emotions get, and that was real for me in that moment. Because it's true, the second my father left, Allah I became utterly fixated on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not because I love my mom less, of course not, but because through his death, I awakened to the reality that a man who occupied so much of my mind and self-image and self-worth and self-evaluation was suddenly gone, and I was left utterly helpless without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This newfound dependency on God was so strong, so profound, that for almost a couple weeks, with the exception of a few occasions, the only time I could cry was when I was on the msalliyah, because I knew nothing or nobody could understand and care and console me like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I even wrote about that too. Baba, I never thought I could have anything in common with a kitten, a cold, hungry, newborn one, until your death shrunk me so small and I curled into a little ball and Allah gave me refuge in my msalliyah. I felt raised up like the rug was a warm cloud in the sky, like he assigned an angel to wrap my cold bones with his wing and provide me extra air for my lungs so I didn't need to take breaks to breathe. I could just hold the long notes of my weep a while longer. In retrospect, I realized that as much as I was mourning my father, his absence, his loss, I was also coping with this unbelievable realization that hidden polytheism had consumed me, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was important to me, but secondary, and therefore not really important to me, because I had just lost an idol, but he should have never been one. For being a great role model and Muslim and true believer and signpost pointing me back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his divine representatives was more than enough. My father did his job, and I hated the thought that he had to leave for me to do mine, to do as he did, which was focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and model myself after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi, not just the holy prophet, but the awaited one, the one about whom we dare say, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hasten his reappearance and relief, because are we truly ready, or would we be ashamed of all the idols standing in the way who won't even allow us to recognize him. And so tomorrow, we meet a woman who certainly would recognize our imam, 
A woman who shows us what happens when you strip away the idols, when you win that struggle against the self, when you destroy all forms of polytheism, big and small, and focus exclusively on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Part of her story is captured in one of the most inspiring and miraculous hadith I've ever read, and she is among the most inspiring women, or humans for that matter, I've ever read about. Not because she wasn't infallible, she wasn't. Not because she was famous, she wasn't. But because she made me wonder of the possibilities for you and me, for we know we can never be like the Mahdi or Fatima Zahra But when we look at this woman and see that all she did was destroy the idols and emulate the infallibles to become who she became, it begs the question, why can't we? And so, our preparation for the Mahdi continues. Tomorrow is a Allah Rad. I'll see you then. And assalamu alaikum.